All right. I think I'm on. Yep. All right. Tell you, the more I play guitar, the older I'm starting to feel. Good night. There was a time I could just play and play and play and play, and I'm getting to where it's like my hands and my knuckles start to hurt now. And like, if we have too many fast songs, like I have to tell Joy, like, calm down, calm, <laughs> calm down. And like, there's been literally times where I've gone over here and I've turned on the hot water and just rubbed my hands back and forth, you know? I was like, yeah, I'm only 40 something. I'm not like it's, I'm, I'm a, what the heck, arthritis, you know? I've been playing for 20-something years now. But it's all good. It's all good. I, I enjoy playing. I enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy it. Always have. Always have. Uh, playing, playing music has always been a very good stress relief for me. And uh, when we worship, I have fun. I mean, like, I don't know about anybody else, but I have fun. I kind of like the lightheartedness of having the kids in here. I'm telling you, you know you're having a good time when kids are singing in the maracas right there on the worship with you. You know? I mean, I, like, I know that worship is a serious time, but come on, man. Do you, do you, like, I have video, like, my youngest will kill me if I was to ever show this, but Reese, when she's, uh, when we lived, when we first moved here, she's like two or three. We were living in Kingsland still, and she's singing into a microphone, making up her own lyrics. Uh, and I think the lyrics were like, I want, but I don't want. <laughs> If you do, you just need to ask the unicorn. That's, I think that's a legit line from the song. Can I tell you, I, I was mesmerized by that. I mean, like, totally captivated in that moment, like, you are a star, right? If you don't think for one minute that God doesn't think that about you when you're singing and having fun and enjoying singing songs about him, you're totally missing the whole humanity side of everything, man or what God's trying to teach you and just in expressing love through family and through relationship, right? And, you know, God gave us his kids so we would understand what it's like to have a kid. We'd understand that, uh, you know what, God, you are right. I have done you. Like one of the things I've told, like at 45, I have told my dad, uh, uh, when we go to like the dear lease and he's around his other buddies and my dad is, is late 60s or mid to late 60s now and <clears throat> he doesn't get around like he used to and and, uh, he, I mean, he's by no means where he can't do some things, but he doesn't get around like he used to. But when he tells me, hey, like, I need you to go get, like, the hammer, or I need you to go get something, in front of his friends and everything else, I'll be like, yes, sir, and I will run and go get it. Now, a lot of that's because I was a horrible child. I'd be like, what? Come on! As a kid, right? I mean, I, like, I would almost start, like, a, a horrible teenager or anything like that, right? But as I get older, right, there's this understanding, like, man, I'd want my kids to treat me that way. Right? There's, there's this part where I want him also to see like that. I want his friends to say, hey, man, you raised a good kid. Like there's a, there's a piece of me that cares a little bit about that. And I'm telling you, those are little things that God is trying to show us so we can understand the whole idea of what it is to be the father. You know, like, like, I don't, like everything testifies of the Lord. Everything in our life testifies of the Lord. And, and if anything does, look, what, what is one thing that is eternal? Do you know relationships are eternal? The ones we carry here, the ones that believe in Jesus, that call him Lord, yeah, I hope you get along with them because we're going to go spend eternity with them. They love Jesus. You love Jesus. You have that in common. God is going to use the rest of your life to teach you how much you actually have in common. He's also going to teach you about himself because the whole earth, your entire life testifies to the glory of God. 
So God uses those moments between me and my dad to go, see what it's like to be a dad. Yeah, you see how it is now for you? See how captivated you are at your kids when your kids come out like that? You see how, see how you act like you're just mesmerized and you're just looking at it and you're laughing at it? And you know it's silly, but it doesn't matter to you. It's a beautiful moment. You, don't, you weren't going to forget it. Can I tell you that's what worship is in the morning? Some of us will get so serious and we're ready to shout down. A ki- I mean, not here. That's the great thing about our place. You know, we cultivate that. But there's, I've been in a lot of churches that that would just be a huge no-no. I can already hear like the whole, the whole, uh, 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 a whole group of people be like, those kids just need to go. They're just a distraction. Like, oh, my goodness. How else do they learn how to praise God? How else do they learn how to lift their hands? How else do they learn how to pray? How else do they learn how to sing? How else do they learn if by not by watching us? And if we don't give them the freedom, how many of you grew up in church where you just got slapped in the back of the head? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually meet those people all the time. They're like, yeah, church was okay. I mean, it was kind of stuffy. I just got popped all the time. It was horrible. You know I mean? like, And I meet a lot of guys that are like born and raised in the church, and that's their experience. And, and I'm like... Yeah, I wouldn't want to go to that church either. I don't. I, I I get it, man. I mean, I don't understand why. Like, I don't know about you, but hanging out with my I hung out. I got to hang out with my dad a while back. We went fishing, have a good time. We laugh at a lot of the same things. We like a lot of the same things. We hang out, right? Why is it so different between us and the Lord? Listen, it's not about I. I give reverence to my dad. I say yes sir, no sir to my dad. If my dad asks me to do something, I go do it, right? I love my dad and because I love my dad. I give him reverence, right? But it doesn't mean my dad can't laugh. It doesn't mean my dad can't see uh, uh, when, when something is funny that it's funny or when it's when it's, it's I'm not trying to disrespect it. I'm just having a good time in it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with our kids jumping around and looking at you going, why ain't you? I mean, honestly, why aren't you? Right. This is what it is. Come to me like a child. You, I mean, I know you're like so respectful and and you got your dignity and all that kind of junk. Some of you need to throw that away. <laughs> and humble yourself and come like a child before the Lord and remember the innocence of such things. Right? We're always worried about what everybody's going to think. Who cares? All you need to care about was God thinks. You think Reese cared that she used the word unicorn in a song? <laughs> and you think I cared? No, because it was the most adorable thing ever. Right? I'm telling you, God is not embarrassed by your dancing. He's not. He's not embarrassed by your singing. Ever. It's this most precious moment. Man, I wouldn't be surprised if God's going, you know, because I'm omnipotent, I can keep going back in time and watching it over and over. <laughs> I just wouldn't doubt it. I mean, come on, man. How much do you like sitting around watching some old movie or some old thing? Look how little we all were. Look at how my dad was. Look, you, Man, God has some luxuries in that area. You know what? I love that so much. I'm going to watch him grow up again. Awesome. Awesome. Right? Let's not forget some of those things. Those are just some of the greatest things we get to learn. Some of the greatest things. that we, Those are some of the things in the past we can let go. We can let go of, 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 of that idea of church where it was so stuffy. and It doesn't have to be that way. Nowhere does the Bible say it has to be that way. Matter of fact, nowhere in the Bible it says we do church like this. Well, you just listen to one guy talk the entire time. Like nowhere it says, says that, you know. I'm thankful you do, and praise God he's given me a gift for such things, but... At the end of the day, what I want for you is the same thing I want for myself, intimacy with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus. And I'm always happy that God sends me people that wants to hang out with Jesus with me. Because guess what, guys? We get to do it not only here, we get to do it there. All these friendships we cultivate right here, we have community up there. It carries forward. It's awesome. Awesome thing. Very few things are eternal, but relationships are. Relationships have the possibility and the ability to be eternal. 
If that's not an investment, I don't know what is. How would you like if I told you you could put money down now that will all, that'll pay dividends in heaven? Right? We do that when we sow seed into each other. We do that when we give hope to somebody else. We lift their spirit and give them hope in God one more time. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, that's the seed they keep sowing into us. The seed of faith is the seed of hope for which we still live on that seed today. Every time we hear about the stories of old, they're planting new seeds in us through just those words. Think about what your words could be to somebody. They could be the seed of hope for generations. You know what it sounds like, though, in real time? This is why we don't give it credit. Man, one thing I remember about my mama, one thing I remember about my dad, welcome to that seed. Welcome to that seed. What are you planting in your kids? What are you planting in another friend? You know, I've got friends that have, the, the great thing I've learned about mentoring, I've had mentors that were 10 years younger than me. I've had mentors that were 20 years older than me. There has yet to be a generation I have found that can't sow a seed into me. I literally still share advice from guys that, are a whole, that I was 35 and they were 25 running a business and they knew things that I didn't know. And, and I still share the advice that they, a 25-year-old gave me when it comes to running a business. He said, he's so deceived in me. He sowed, whether he realized it or not, he sowed a seed of wisdom in me at 25 years old that I did not possess at 35, and I carry that seed forward now. Right? What godly things or what godly principles can we push forward? Those are all good questions. And I think that starts here. It starts in the worship. If you don't think you're planting a seed right now, I hope you're clapping because your kids are watching. I hope you're singing because your kids are watching. If you act carefree, and you, and you look like you love everything, how much more are your kids going to love it? Man, isn't it contagious? Love is contagious. That's why Jesus is contagious. If you love Jesus, that's contagious. Everybody's going to know you love Jesus. Right? I already know what you like. One of the things I laugh about Jared, you know, when people ask me a lot of things, I'm a heavy set guy, they don't think I'm necessarily going to be the most physical guy. And I'm like, yeah, man, I used to ride bikes all the time. Bicycles, you know, we'd, we'd ride burning back 30-something mile ride right there. We'd go do triathlons and stuff, and they're like looking at me like, are you crazy, man? Like, you're way too fat for that. I'm like, I totally am. I totally, these are conversations I have at work, right? Like, they're, I'm like, I totally am. But you know what? Golly, man, you hang around Jared long enough, you're like, oh, okay, I'll buy a bike. Okay. I mean, because it's like, it sounds so cool the way he talks about it. So I'll go do it. Yeah, it's an hour of pain and torture. And for some reason, it's, he was right. Through all the pain and the torture, I am so proud of myself for having done it. He was right, right? But I, like some of us, man, that's, that's how it starts. It's this passion thing, right? Whatever you're passionate about, all of a sudden you start sharing. I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. I think I might go try it. I might go do this. I might go do that, you know? Uh, the Colorado trip I'm taking in the next three weeks. I don't know if you've seen the movie Walter Mitty. Uh, uh, Walter Mitty is the story about a guy who always wishes he was in somebody else's life because his life is so boring. I looked at this picture of this guy, and he's in the backwoods of Idaho with this pack that looks like it's seven feet tall on his back. And, and I pictured myself in the picture like, man, I wish that was me. And rather than saying I wish it was me, I was like, you know what? This dude is so passionate about it. All he does is post pictures about it. Guess what? It's contagious. I got to go try it. Dude, you're fat. Now, this is what they're telling me at work, right? Dude, you're fat, bro. You're not in shape. Well, I know. But it's, it's got to start somewhere. All right? And so we go there, and guess what? It was one of the best experiences of my life. I'm going again. One of the best experiences of my life. And, and the thing is, is like passion breeds passion. Passion breeds passion. Love breeds love. Worship breeds worship. Man, our kids, 
may we never stifle that whole thing. It's crazy or as chaotic as it can be, right? Nothing like vacuuming going right on in the middle of everything with a toy vacuum. But not one of you are going to tell him to stop. Don't lie. Because <laughs> it's too cute. Right? By the way, I think God thinks that sometimes. Like, you know, like you're like, I don't even know if my singing is good. God's like, yeah, it's not. But it's okay because I think it's the cutest thing ever. I think it's the cutest thing ever. And by the way, any of you say different, you're the one that's wrong. God loves the way they sing. God loves the way his children talk. God loves the way his children looks. And anybody that encourages anything different is a fool. He loves his kids. He made them perfect the first time. The first time. All right, I'm done preaching on that. So we're going to Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're going to pick it back up in chapter 12. We are going to get through this. We're getting towards the end anyway, right? I think there's 16 chapters in Mark. I remember an old uh, uh, teacher or preacher one time, he said a great joke. Uh, this is just seeing who was paying attention. And uh, I believe 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And so um, one of the things he asked him, he was like, all right, we're going to turn to Mark chapter like 17 or 18 or something like that. You know, and it's like some chapter that doesn't exist. And he's like, yeah, we're turning to Mark chapter 17. When you're there, just say amen. Everybody's like, amen. And he's like, so today we're going to talk about lying. And then he just was on, right? And I was like, oh, I am stealing that. That is so good. That was so good. I'm like looking for, oh my gosh, my Bible doesn't have it. I'm like, maybe it's in the Apocrypha. I should go get a Catholic Bible. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where, I can't find it. But everybody else is like, they said amen. I'm like, oh my gosh. And when he said that line part, this guy's good. This guy is good. He caught his whole congregation in that one. All right, so we're in, we're in uh, chapter... 12. We're coming to the end of the arguments kind of that are happening in the gospel of Mark towards the end of Jesus' life here. All the questions, all the, the trickery, all the deceit is all about to come like be laid uh, to rest at least for a little while uh, because the cross is coming. We're going we're gonna to be moving that direction, right? Calvary is calling upon uh, Jesus. His purpose, his whole mission is clear to him. And, and the thing about Jesus, I love Jesus is a fixed individual, he is, from the time he is born, he is headed to one place and only one place, and he knows it, and he doesn't shy away from it at all. He's fixed. He's not going to be stopped. And the Bible is, is absolutely clear on all of that. He knows what needs to be done. And like I continue to say, everything we read, especially in the final week before the death of Christ, is even more special. Jesus knew that his time was approaching. How he acted and how he behaved and the words that he will say in situations that he will encounter now become some of the most important moments of his life and mission. In his words, it would be his purpose, right? I can tell you, as somebody who's had to think about such things, as weird as that is at 45 uh, years old that I've had to think about such things as death approach. Anybody who's been in the military and you've been launched out into a combat zone, one of the couple of things you get to do at the ripe old age of 19 is to make a, write your first will. 19 years old, I'm getting ready to go into a combat zone. I remember having to sit down and write my will out. The things that I own, the paychecks that I'm going to get, the, what was it, I think at the time, $100,000 if I die in combat. You know, who do I want this $100,000 to go to? What kind of burial do I want at 19 years of age? Um, who do I want as my power of attorney? Who's going to handle all my affairs so that any bills that I might have get paid? Can I tell you how many 19-year-olds you think are thinking about such things, right? But I, but I can tell you, something is very sobering about thinking about your death. 
and not just thinking about it, but actually planning on it at 19. Like, okay, I'm going to die. If I die, how do I want this to lay out? And most 19-year-olds, they don't give that kind of thing a thought, but in the military, you're kind of forced to embrace that. Like, that's a part of what could happen. We want you're upfront about it. We have to prepare this so that when you decide or when this moment happens, this is all taken care of. Your family can be taken care of. How you want to die will be taken care of. Do you want the, you know, the, the 21-gun salute? Do you want the flag draped over your coffin? you got to think about it. Do you want a coffin? Do you want to be cremated? What do you, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. At 19, I'm thinking, man, I just want to come back. How about that? <laughs> like, like how, that's a whole lot less morbid, you know? I mean, like... Uh, and you have to think about things you don't normally think about. And can I tell you, it's in those moments that you start really start, you don't play around with words. You don't, you don't, uh, as I was 19, I'm getting ready to leave. My parents are calling. They're asking me questions. Can I tell you, I told my parents I love them. Can I tell you, like I told, I called all my friends. I said, dude, if I don't get a chance to tell you, I love you. I mean, I, because if I, I, I don't know, right? I mean, this is all foreign to me. At 19, I don't know what I'm about to go see. I just know that I, I'm going to a combat zone. I'm having to prepare for my death. I, I mean, I'm thinking, that's a pretty good sign it's not going to be a great time. Like, we're not going to Cozumel. You know, we're not, we're not going to Mexico to have a good time. This isn't going to be a cruise. This is going to be something that, obviously, I've never experienced in my life before. And, and it's sobering, very sobering. And, uh, you know, when you're 19, you just kind of slough it off as nothing. But it leaves this mark on you. It just does. And so... I can tell you firsthand that like when you come to that place where you think this is where I'm headed, I'm, I am heading this, I'm making decisions now that are going to lead to this possible moment. Everything you say afterwards becomes important. You start to rethink and re- renegotiate with your own self about what's important in your life. Now for Jesus, one thing I love about Jesus, Jesus doesn't live his life any different. It's kind of neat. If I told you, hey man, you got like six weeks. Can I tell you, I, you know, I, to, I told you a while back, a guy named David Jensen, he has passed on now. But he, but he found out he had cancer and he had less than eight months. By the time he found out, he had less than eight months. They're like, it's so rapidly advancing, we can give you chemo just to get you on a few more months, but you're going to not make it. Guaranteed. Changed his whole life. He started going and seeing his kids more, started hanging out with his grandkids more, making sure that he could spend the most time he could with the people that he could. It changed his entire lifestyle. Now listen, Jesus knows he's facing the cross and he doesn't change his lifestyle at all. That should tell you about how Jesus lives his life. We always talk about, man, he lives, you know, living with no regrets. Jesus lives with no regrets. He lives as a man who's fixed on what needs to be done, what has to be done, and he has no regrets about doing it. This is the fulfillment of his life. As we move closer to the cross, everything he says and everything he does becomes more important. Because with the pressure of the cross upon him, the pressure of pain upon him, Man, at one point, we're going to see at Gethsemane that he bleeds. He's praying so hard, he's bleeding through his pores. All right? He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Pretty impressive. So we're going to follow him like we have for the last few weeks. Uh, and, and in the last few weeks, he's been hammered by, like, one group after the next. They're all hoping to, like, trick him or deceive him or, you know, hopefully they're, they're somehow going to get him and kill him. Each attempt has failed with him outsmarting everyone. It's pretty impressive. Uh, the time, and, and this time is like all the others, except it's, it's a little bit more simpler. They ask him, in my opinion, a little bit more easier question, but it's still smart on how he answers. Well, we'll pick up in chapter 12 at verse 28. Verse 28, we're just going to read through 34. Say amen if you're there. I know it's there, so we're, it's not trying to catch you on anything. You can say amen. 
One of the teachers of religious law was standing there, listening to the debate. He realized uh, that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is one God. The Lord is our God, is one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Amen. You've got to love the perspective of those who are hoping to trap Jesus into saying something regretful. He's standing there and he's amongst all the others that have been going at him. If it isn't the Pharisees, it's the religious leaders, the elders, the Herodians, and it was the Sadducees last week. Everybody's standing around hoping to trip him up or ask him something that's going to trip him up and get him killed. Everybody is, right? But you've got to love the perspective of this guy. Though, though it had been revealed to us through the Word of God as to what their, all their motives were, these individuals who are asking the questions never really see themselves as bad individuals. Not once do they show any remorse for how they treat Jesus, for the things they're saying to him, nor do they show any regret. The very first sentence we read in all of this reveals their heart's perspective. It reads that they were standing there listening to the debate. I don't know about you, that's like no debate I've ever heard. I mean, is that what all of it is? Is it really? It, it, to me, it really reveals to you the truth in what Jeremiah had to say about the heart of mankind. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Let me say that again. The, heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. As a matter of fact, the heart is so deceitful, you don't even realize it when it's happening in real time. Just like this instance and all the other ones as well. You can't even tell that when you're hanging around with others, you're being just as wicked as they are. Oh, it's just a debate. Man, this isn't a debate. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we've already heard what Jesus thinks of all this. He knows that it's a whole trickery. He knows it's all about it being a trip up. He knows about all these things, right? You, you're, the questions just keep coming, right? They're questioning him in hopes of killing the Son of God. And they're hiding it in a word called debate. And this is what's happening, right? And so, listen, guys, your intentions might not be seen in the eyes of men, but the eyes of God are not so easily fooled. They see the wickedness of your heart. Like, to them, it really was, oh, it's just debate. There's nothing... They didn't see themselves ever. You know, the Pharisees never see themselves as in the wrong here. In trying to get rid of Jesus, they see themselves as doing a good thing. We're trying to get rid of this guy who's a troublemaker, guys. He's just going to get everybody killed because the more people keep talking about him being king, the more Caesar's going to rain down on us. And the what little religious freedom we do have, he's going to ruin it for everybody. That's the way they think. So the way that they see themselves, they're the heroes in this story, by the way. That's how they see themselves, right? It's just debate. Uh-huh. Yeah, you don't even know when you're wicked. You don't even know it. It's just happening. You think you see yourself as the victor. You see yourself as somebody that's just the savior. You see yourself as trying to save everyone. 
God's not full. God's not full. And so Jesus, Jesus isn't coy about this one either. He knows the answer. And, and like, I love it because it's like instant. They don't have to think about this. This ain't like something he had to pause on. He knows it, right? And there's a pretty good chance that many of you know this passage or you've heard this passage preached. It's often discussed in church and really on a constant basis because really it's, it is life and purpose. These two commandments make up the fruitful Christian mission of every believer. The question for Jesus now is what is the most important commandment? And Jesus' answer, uh, it's not necessarily simple. It's simple in the way we read it, uh, uh, but he, he, the way he answers it is, more, is basically more than they're probably thinking. They're thinking like when he gives them an answer, he gives them one that they would easily recognize, right? He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. Now, they recognize this. They, they know what that he's saying here. They recognize it because he quoted it straight out of Deuteronomy 6. Jesus quoted it straight from the, from the Bible, right? They understand this because this commandment has existed all the way from the early days of Moses. It is the reason that many in the days of Moses uh, or in the days of Jesus know who God is, or they would call him Jehovah. They would know who he is because of this single command that he quotes from Deuteronomy. Uh, the command to love God is more than just to merely love Him, too. Uh, uh, but it's the command, like we love our children. It, 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 it's, it's more than just loving our children, like loving our spouse, although it means that. But to understand the power of what He was saying to them and what they were understanding Him saying, you really need to go back and look at Deuteronomy 6. You can't just take that. Like, that's what we do today. I hear a lot of people talk about this scripture, and they, I hear them talk about these two commands. Well, we're to love God with all our... Uh, 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 mind, soul, strength, all these things. We're to love God in all these ways, right? And then, and then we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and these are the two greatest. And then when I ask somebody, well, what does that mean to love God with all our mind, our soul, and our strength, and everything within us, right? What's that mean? Well, it means that I think it means that this and this. No, 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 no. What does the Bible say it means? I know what you might think it means. I know what you might be moved emotionally to think it means. But what does the Bible clarify? If, if he pulls this from Deuteronomy 6... How was this explained to them what this was going to be kind of expected of as far as to what it means to be like this? And only Deuteronomy 6 can explain. Now, listen, the Jews knew this. The Jews knew this because they grew up their whole life listening to it. Their whole life, they're trained from church. They listen to the word. They go to the listen to these religious leaders who tell them what the Bible says. And they, and they pass these on from generation to generation. So everybody kind of already knew this. And by the way, when we read this, you're going to realize how, why it kind of was passed on so easily. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9 says, and you're, you're going to sound familiar right here. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That's the first thing what he said. And then he followed it. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now listen to what he's saying here. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do we... There's more to this than meets the eye. There's, to love God like this, to love or to, to have the expression or love of God leads you to all these things, passing it down. So when Jesus says this, he reminds us here that there is, first of all, there is only the Lord, there is no one else, and that he made you, that you're created in his image. You need the Lord. 
you are to realize that you need Him and that apart from Him, you are lost. We were created to love for love. We are to love specifically the Lord, not just a little, but with everything within us. That's this whole scripture. We are to love God, giving Him our entire heart, not part. God is not satisfied with part of your heart. Well, I'm good on Sundays. Got them all yours. The rest of the week, it's my thing. No, no, no. Every day, 24-7, is God. We are to love God, giving Him our innermost being, the deepest recesses of our inside. We are to love God with every ounce of strength we have, and we are to do this every day. We're supposed to pass this on. Part of loving God or showing or giving everything to God is passing on the Lord, the message of God. We're to talk about loving God with our families and our friends, right? We are to remind ourselves of this great love when we wake up and when we go to sleep. Listen, that's what the scripture was saying. We are to write it down or place writings around us that remind us of this great truth that we live in. We are to live in this constant reminder. To say that Moses thought this was an important understatement, I mean, come on, man. This is probably one of the biggest scriptures there is in all the Bible. And how it, our love is to be expressed is, is directly commanded of us. This was the truth that was meant to be passed on. This was the truth that was meant to be discussed. This was the truth that was meant to be reflected upon. How do I love God with everything within me? How do I love God mind, soul, strength? How do I, how do, I do that? I do that by waking up in the morning loving on God. I wake up by going to sleep. When I go to you know, during the day, I tell my family, hey, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. Da, da, da. I talk about God all day long to my family and to my friends. And when I go to bed, I'm talking about God. When I wake up, I'm looking on the wall and I'm putting scriptures around me that remind me of the love of God. I'm giving every ounce of my life to Him. I'm consuming my life with Him. By the way, the reason you're here today is because people love God with all their mind, soul, and strength. Because if you follow the scripture and what it says or what it describes as loving God this way, the love that loves this way passes it on. The love that loves this way is the reason why you see billboards that still say stuff about God. The love that loves this way is why you still see or hear about people who encourage you or say something to you because they're practicing loving God with all their mind, their soul, and their strength. You, there's no way. Love, it just doesn't sit there and, and, and into itself. The love expresses. It's never dormant. It expresses. Man, uh, you know, working with teenagers, you can always tell when a TJ, teenager loves somebody because everybody knows it. 47 million pictures of it. They tell you all the time, oh, I just love him, whatever. You can get tired of hearing it after a while, right? Because love expresses, man. Love, when, when love is happening, love doesn't shut up. Love doesn't shut up, you know? I mean, I, I take the platform in here. How many times do I want to talk good about my wife? All the time. I love her. I'm going to express my love to everybody. I want everybody to see how much or, or hear how great she is because I love her. Same thing for the Lord. By the way, where do you think we get those, those traits? You think they just come from our humanity? Or you forget we're created in His image. Love expresses. Why do you think good things happen to you in your life? Because love expresses. Love expresses itself. It can't be stopped. It has to go outward. Love cannot be contained. There's no vessel that contains love. Even Jesus, he poured himself out. Even Jesus. Love is, cannot be contained. 
It, it has to go out, right? Why do we have church? Why would Jesus come, establish a group of people who would sit around, talk about, the, talk about their love for the Lord, because it's biblical and it keeps with the greatest commandment? We just read in Deuteronomy 6 that it passes it around, talks about a day, talks about a night. It talks about a place where you wake up and you see scriptures everywhere and you see the word of God everywhere. And they've got it stamped to their foreheads and they got it stamped on their shirts and they got it stamped everywhere they go. Why? Why are these people, by the way, which it describes a fanatic, all right? Why are these people so fanatic about the Lord? Because that's what it means to love God with all your mind and your soul and your strength. I don't know how anybody doesn't become a fanatic. By the way, if you hadn't been called a fanatic, shame on you. Man. Somebody, they should think you're crazy. They thought the apostles were. That's like a good sign. Like people, they think I'm crazy. I'm just a Jesus fanatic. I always thought it was funny when we did the back to school blast, their whole comment towards us as a church was, y'all are the spiritual ones. Praise Jesus. When I tell people all the time, man, I'm Pentecostal. We only play with snakes on every fifth Sunday. That's it. Not every Sunday. You know? Because that's the, I, make, I make light of it. You know what? Because I know that we're looked at like crazies. I'm okay with that. God made me this way. What, what am I supposed to do with that? I love God that much. I'm crazy for the Lord. I'm going to be called crazy. I'm going to be called fanatic. I wear it as a badge of honor. You're right. Why aren't you? Why aren't you this fanatic about the Lord? Why, why can't you just follow the Deuteronomy stuff? Right? Okay, I get it. I'll be honest with you. I don't want none of you to go stamp or, or, or uh, tattoo your forehead with the word, okay? But I think that's just weird. That's a little much for me. But if you do it, I guess you got a scripture now. <laughs> but you see, Deuteronomy 6 describes the fanatic. It, I mean, if that's what loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and, and strength is, then what else? Anything less is what? If you're not careful, anything less is mediocre. You know, I've been studying a lot here lately. It's totally off topic, but because it's just been fascinating me lately with the Laodicean church in, in Revelations where he says, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Like, it's like God can deal with those two. What I, what I like about, like God's saying this, you know who I like? If I, if I broke people down into category groups, I like fanatics and I like bona fide, truly lost people. That like almost hate me because they're so lost, right? But these ones in the middle that keep playing the fence. That's, that's what he's saying. The lukewarm. The ones that are, and by the way, the lukewarm, they're in church like once a month. They're in church like maybe once every two months or whatever like that. I come just enough. So I, by the way, that's a trend growing. Most pastors talk about it today. The average member of a church attends like once every three weeks. It doesn't attend weekly anymore. And that's the new norm. And rather than the church preaching against it, they've just kind of gone, this is the new norm. The culture is this way. And we've got to work with the culture. Man, the heck with that. Show me in Deuteronomy 6 where it says that's okay. Show me in the Laodicean church where that's okay. You know, sh show me where the Bible says that being lukewarm is all right. Where, show me where, like, you're going to be wiser and smarter and safer if you're farther away from God or you're only coming uh, and hanging out with other people. How are you going to be a person who provides hope if you don't hang around hope? Can't be lukewarm. Can't just show up once. Listen, God is forgiving. He's always going to have grace and mercy. So if you're experiencing a good life, even though you barely attend or barely come, by the way, that's called grace and mercy. God loves you enough. He gives you grace, and he's always waiting for you just to come totally give yourself to him. Because I promise you this, you as a radical would save more people than you as not. 
There's no room in the kingdom for mediocrity. You're either all in or you're not. And by the way, God says, I like those. All in or not at all. This, this stuff where we play the fence, where you make yourself feel good, not a fan. That's what God says. I'm not a fan. And man, me, neither am I. It's nothing more frustrating than the guy that's halfway in. Now, what it does for me is I'm like, this is where, I don't know what it does for God. For me, it's like the whole time, like, man, I'm just holding out that something's going to catch. I feel like, you ever, you ever been fishing and you just get nibbles? And it's frustrating, right? Like, I just want to set the hook. Set the hook, man. Right? That's how I feel about somebody who's like random. Like, bro, God, let's just set the hook. God's like, no, nah, man, I want it to get really good. And then I'm going to really pop it on him or we'll just see what he's going to do. No, God, let's set the hook. Let's pop it. <laughs> right? He's like, well, we could rip the hook straight out of his mouth or something. like that. These are the conversations I have with God, by the way. It's, it's just how I feel. Like, this is the things that I talk to him about. And if, by the way, that's the great thing about God. You can talk to him about such things, right? God gets frustrated with this. You're either all in or you're not. You're either fanatic or you're not, you're not at all. Like, what's the, what's the deal here? What's the deal here? So, so it's, it's no surprise that we see the church today. It's no surprise we see that Jesus would come and create a place that would be all in about God. That where the fanatics can go and hang out and love each other because they're fanatic, right? Man, we see in the Acts church, you know, I feel bad for anybody who's not Pentecostal because in the Acts church, like, how do you relate? How do you relate to anybody in Acts, you know? They're all speaking in tongues and getting healed and handkerchiefs are just floating about getting healing people. Like, Paul's not even there and the handkerchief's still healing people. I mean, there's like crazy stuff going on. There's, there's weird and, and, and bizarre stuff happening in the book of Acts where this is the God we serve. If you're not a fanatic and that isn't a man, that's, you, you should be because it's awesome. It is awesome, some of the stuff we see, right? But it's no surprise if Deuteronomy 6 is the measure by which we are measured when it comes to loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything is all in, right? Then it's no surprise Jesus says, let's create a church where people can do all the things that are in Deuteronomy 6. Where they can fulfill that Deuteronomy 6, right? And you can live a life that lives this way, right? Church doesn't make you saved. It doesn't even put you in relationship with God. It's supposed to be where a group of people who are crazy about God and who are all in can come together and continue to bring, to be iron sharpening iron. To here to sharpen you. This is what, <laughs> this is Jesus, man. There is no love apart from God. Only true love is found in God. And these are the things that, God is pouring out on us. Like all other ideas for love, all other ideas for, for what Jesus is doing, that's all, that's all whatever. But this, this thing called the church, this is what Jesus is doing. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. And it's through, you know, in this pursuit of God, in this pursuit of loving God, right? Uh, we learn who we are. We learn uh, how to live in happiness and joy that exist only in, in living in Him, right? In our pursuit of Him, we live in Him. And by living in Him, we experience happiness and joy, right? We fall in love with the things that He loves. This is already in you. This is already, and listen, as I can share in your passions, like I talked about earlier for the things that you love, we see this in marriages and friendships and in church, right? I talked about with Jared, I share the same passion. Some of you are into some other stuff. Guess what? I get into that. My wife likes furniture. Guess who started building stuff? Ugh. Don't anybody else come to me with stuff you like, okay? I got enough hobbies, all right? I got enough hobbies. 
The funny thing about me is what God has given me is a desire to try new things. That's like my biggest addiction is like, ooh, I've never done it before. Let's try it. I've been watching these knife-making videos. Oh, my gosh. I'm about to have to go get me some stuff. <laughs> I never built a knife before, but for whatever reason, I think maybe I just build maybe two and can call it a day. Just like I said, I did it, you know, just because it's a new experience. Just because, like, never built it when I built, was building an AR before. I, I, built, I built two, and I was like, ooh, that was cool. Or I built my own gun. That was awesome, right? Ooh, maybe I should build this. Or maybe the next thing I know, I'm building furniture. You know, like, I mean, it depends. If, if I'm hanging around you, like, for some reason, man, that's one thing God has given me, this desire to, like, be interested in the things you're interested in. And then find, I think one of the beautiful things, if you'll let yourself, especially where it, this kind of falls into the loving others like you love yourself, right? I think if you find giving yourself into just, like, look through the eyes of someone else, and allow them to share their passion with you, like you'd be so surprised how like when you see through their eyes how wonderful it is. Like, man, I do see it like you now, right? Like I'm not running triathlons all the time, but I had such a great experience that when anybody asked me like, oh, it was awesome, you should go try it, right? I'm building, I built some furniture pieces. I'm like, oh man, everybody should at least work in a wood shop once and see what it's like to build something from scratch, right? There's something neat about that kind of stuff, right? i passion. I love art. I love music. I li- I'll listen to something that my wife's like, that sounds awful. I'm like, yeah, but did you see the bass player in that whole band? Like, he was awesome. She was like, how did you even hear it? Because uh, I listen to music. I know. Like, I watch band. I know what it takes to play certain things. I'm watching this guy, and he's like the stud out of this whole thing. Like, this guy's awesome. I can find myself fascinated through individuals, right? Because I'm sharing the passions. And just like God, because our, we're so infatuated, we're so fanatic about God, we begin to love the things he loves. And we start to see things through his eyes. That's, that's what happens here, right? In this case, it's each other. God loves his kids. To love God is to love his kids. Man, I can't say that enough. If you don't love his kids, you don't love him. By the way, how many parents would agree with that one? You don't like my kids, you don't like me. That's just how it is. You love my kids, you, man, I love you. You don't like my kids, you probably don't want to be around me. All right? That's just simple. These two are like a firm handshake. You get one, you get the other. There's simply no way to disconnect these two because everything that Jesus represents is found in these two commandments. And they really reveal to us the will of God. This is your purpose. This is your mission. To love God with everything in you. Deuteronomy 6 gives you the platform and the blueprint by which what that looks like and what it should look like in your life, right? And then to love his kids, those things which he loves, which is, by the way, everything he's created. Jesus' entire life and ministry is a response to the first commandment, and his mission is equally important the second one. Jesus pulls straight from the book of Deuteronomy for the first, and then for the second, he refers to the book of Leviticus. By the way, can I give you a little side note here? To speak with one of these religious leaders, these Pharisees or these Sadducees, Jesus speaks in a way that they'll understand. Jesus always speaks in a way that either exposes our heart's intent or in a way that will reason with us in an effort where grace is really trying to win us. Isn't that also interesting? In this way, he speaks to us in a way that honors both loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength by learning and knowing God's written word, but also he honors the equally important second commandment in loving his neighbor 
uh, 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 by remembering that even the religious leader is a child of God. Like he could have just said, because, or I just, this is the way it is, or he could have said a lot of things, and he's God, so he could have said those things, but he spoke to them in a way that they would understand or bring understanding to them. Remember, it said they were amazed at his answers, right? Because these are things that they hadn't thought about. Remember, they were supposed to be their traps. These were their theological traps, and he navigated their theological traps with such ease that it amazed them. Matter of fact, it was like, man, that's the answer I wish I'd have gave. How did I think of that? Right? He spoke to them in a way that they could understand. And by the way, as much as we know that they can kind of be the villains in the story, Jesus still knows that he's going to die for them. He's not going to treat them like the villain. That should be a lesson for us. How we talk to people or how we approach people, especially those... Um, who sometimes are, seem to be the enemy. Jesus died for every single individual that's on this planet. Whether they receive that or not is a whole other story. The power of the cross is to save everyone, but only those who believe will be saved. That being said, every person on this planet is a child of God. Every person on this planet can be part of the body. And at any time, think about Paul. Remember, Ananias did not want to lay hands on Paul either. So you ain't the only one in the Bible that's ever met somebody that didn't want to be saved. Like, I don't want this guy to be saved. You know what he's done? You know how awful he is to our movement? This guy's an antithesis of everything that's against us. Everybody knows who he is. He's been killing guys. Like He's been hunting us down, God. And you're telling me to come make him dinner and lay hands for him and give him his sight back? What happens once I do? I love how there's no assurance for Ananias. God just said, this is what I want. This is what I want. Sometimes, guys, God's going to stick people in your life that this just is the way it's going to be. And you know what you're supposed to remember in that moment? To be Jesus in that moment and love them. Even though they're going to try your patience to love them. Even though they might be the snare for you. But how you navigate that moment says everything. How you navigate. That's a little side note. So look at saying, Jesus... He gives them Deuteronomy. Uh, he knows they're going to be familiar with this, uh, the, 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 the Old Testament uh, and the things that Moses wrote. So when he pulls from Leviticus, the expectation is the same. He can simplify the response because the expectation is that they know the word. All right? So when he gives it here, that's not like some deal like, yeah, well, Jesus said it. That's all we need to do. No, you should investigate why he said it. You should go back to Deuteronomy and read where he said what he said about loving God with all your uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what? When he says, love your neighbor, what was he talking about there? Why? I mean, if he's quoting Leviticus, what did Leviticus say about it? Do you know? Because he knows that they know. And if you don't know, that's how the devil gets you on. You just make up whatever you think it is. And that's not theology. That's dumbology. You should know the Word. You should know the Bible. When you see those footnotes in your Bible, by the way, some of the digital Bibles are great because they just click on a link. There's the Scripture. Click on the Scripture. There it is. Some of that stuff's pretty awesome. You should look up. When they give you those footnotes, this is, where he, this is exactly where the Scripture is coming from. Go back and read it. It's an education for you to know the context of what he's talking about. This is how I can know that when he's talking to the religious leader, he already knows they know the word. So he doesn't have to fight. Hey, I'm talking to somebody with like a, a third grade education because you don't know anything. So let me explain it or let me break it down in a way that's going to be easy. No, 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 no. I don't have to do that. I can just say the scripture because you already know it. You're the religious leader. You've studied this your whole life. 
You're asking me. I know that you're pedigreed here. So I'm going to speak to you in a way that you'll understand. I'll quote from you from the area of which, like when he was with the Sadducees, what did he do? Well, I know you don't believe in the prophets, so you know what I'll do? I'll quote from you the Mosaic laws. I'll quote from you in a place that you will understand and you will know. That is the grace of God. The grace of God just doesn't go, well, I'm sorry you're a dummy. The grace of God says, let me teach you with what you do know. Let me appeal to you with what education you do have. I'm not here to make fun of you. I'm not here to tell you what you don't know. I'm here to just share with you the truth of God in a way that you can understand it. That is, man, if that's not mercy, whew. And just in case you're not familiar with where Jesus pulled the scripture from, I'm going to break it down for you so that uh, you would know what these leaders understood. I'm not going to get into the whole thing in, in Leviticus 19, but I will break down some of the things that he did say that we can directly know that he was talking about. Because Leviticus 19, the whole chapter, is based on godly conduct towards society and others. It is the Mosaic law for the godly conduct, how you should be behaving. When we say loving our neighbor, this is what Jesus was talking about. I know that we all have ideas what it means, but this is actually the Levitical principles that God describes in Leviticus 19, uh, verse 3. It says, each of you must show great respect for your mother and father, right? Come on, teenagers, be for real. Show respect to your mom and your dad. This is something I had to teach a lot as a youth pastor. Further along in verses 9 and 10. When you harvest crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the vines that fall into the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. Remember when you got that extra change and somebody's like, hey, I'm hurting today, man, I just need this or whatever, and you just got extra money for that. I mean, this, this, he's creating godly behavior. Create a life around or your business in a way that has overflow that helps out the poor. This is what it is to love your neighbor. You, you want, uh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then you got verse 11, and verse 11 sounds self-serving, but it definitely reflects on how we treat others by simply stating, don't steal. Why? What happens when we steal? We take from others, right? That, that sounds self-serving, really. Don't steal because you don't want to be bad. It's not about not being bad. You don't want to take from somebody else. That's not how we treat people. Verse 13 through 18, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Amen. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Don't spread slanderous gossip among your people. Don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as your so Jesus took his time man he just said hey love your neighbors yourself they already knew all of Leviticus 19 they already knew what it said so that when he got to the part that was supposed to be the culmination of the chapter it was like okay so that's what it means right we're supposed to create a life that that has that has a consideration for the poor in it we're supposed to judge fairly we're supposed to not be gospers why? I mean, these are all things. This is what it is to love, love neighbors. Because you don't want to be gossip about. If you didn't have much, you'd want a little help. You know, 
I mean, this is just simple stuff, really. It really is simple stuff. Ultimately, God loves you. He wants you to love your brothers and sisters, too. And how much are you supposed to them? As much as you love yourself. That's the measure. How much do I love someone else? As much as you love you. How much do you love yourself? Now, that's a good question. Some of you love yourself more than others. That's the biggest problem in the end, really, is that you love yourself more than you love anybody else. That's the biggest thing I think we struggle with. Uh, what I think is funny is people, people, that, people that struggle with loving themselves also struggle to love others, too, though. I always remember one of the things Brennan Manning would always say about prayer. Some people don't go to God in prayer because they don't even like to be by themselves. Why would they subject God to it? I remember Brennan saying that. I was like, dang, that's wisdom. Like, I, I, I feel you on that. Like, I can get low down and guilty about my own life sometimes so much so. Like, God, you don't even want to be around me. God's like, that's a dumb thing to say. I'm your dad. I'm always going to love you. I mean, some people struggle there. And don't get me wrong. Listen, loving yourself isn't inherently wrong. As a matter of fact, I'd say it's godly. We are to love ourselves like God loves us. We are to love ourselves in Christ. This is a love that isn't just reserved for us, though. To love ourselves is not just a love that, that's just for us, but also for others that are in Christ also. I want to share with you something I studied this week, and I came across a passing thought by John Piper. If you, if you don't know who he is, he's a Baptist pastor that is like a ridiculously excellent theologian. I mean, just wisdom beyond his years. And his thoughts were too good on this not to share. There are some people that just have a way with words. I mean, he has a gift. I, I mean, as much as I would love to be able to be so insightful sometimes, there are just some guys that are like, my goodness, man. God, you poured yourself into an individual, and it's guys like this. this is, listen to his thoughts on this whole thing. This is an excerpt from, a, from, from something he wrote. He says, love your neighbor as yourself is a very radical command. And what I mean by radical is this. It cuts to the root of our sinfulness and exposes it by God's grace, severs it. The root of our sinfulness is the desire for our own happiness apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. He says, let me say that again. The root of our sinfulness is the desire to be happy apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. All sin comes from a desire to be happy, cut off from the glory of God, and cut off from the good of others. The command of Jesus here to love your neighbor as yourself cuts this root, exposes it, and severs it. He further on says, another name for this root of sinfulness is pride. Pride is the presumption that we can be happy without depending on God as the source of our happiness or without caring if others find their happiness in God. Pride is the passion to be happy, contaminated and corrupted by two things. The willingness to see God as the only fountain of true and lasting joy and the unwillingness to see other people as designed by God to receive our joy in him. If you take the desire to be happy and strip it away from God as the fountain of your happiness and people as the recipients of your happiness, what you have left is the engine of pride. Pride is the pursuit of happiness anywhere but in the glory of God and the good of other people. This is the root of all sin. Now, listen to how he, he nails this. And so with all this, he cuts to the root of your sinfulness. How so? So this is, he's saying, Jesus in effect says this, I start with your inborn, deep, defining human trait for love, your love for yourself. This is a given. I don't command it. I, I assume it. All of you have a powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. You all want to be happy. 
You all want to live and to live with satisfaction. You want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourself. You want a place to live for yourself. You want protection from violence against yourself. You want meaningful or pleasant activity to fill your days. You want some friends to like you and spend time with you. You want your life to count in some way. All of this is self-love. Self-love is a deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. Everyone, without exception, has this human trait. This is what moves us to do this or that. Even suicide is pursued out of the principle of self-love. In the midst of a feeling of utter meaningless and hopelessness and numbness of depression, the soul says, it can't get any worse than this. So even if I don't know uh, what I will gain through death, I do know that I will escape. And so suicide is an attempt to escape the intolerable. It's an act of self-love. Now, Jesus says this. We're coming to the end of this. I start with this self-love. This is what I know about you. This is common to all people. You don't have to learn it. It comes with your humanity. My Father created it in and of itself is good. To hunger for food is not evil. Amen. To want to be warm in the winter is not evil. To want to be safe in a crisis is not evil. To want to be healthy during a plague is not evil. To want to be liked by others is not evil. To want, to be, to, to want your life to count in some significant way is not evil. This, is a, this was a defining human trait before the fall of man into sin. So it's not evil in and of itself. Whether it has become evil in your life will be exposed as you hear and respond to the Jesus' commands. As you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Which means this. And here, guys, listen. Don't lose me here. As you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity or violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend for your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into strange company. Hello, church. Welcome your neighbor into strange company. And as you would that men would do to you, so do to them. Man, if that ain't insightful, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. The inherent is within you. The loving of yourself is within you to do. I see it all the time, man. Come on. It's all over this, even this next generation. That This is probably the most generation that loves himself more than anything. They're going to post their picture and their face over everything in the next few years. Everywhere. They created whole platforms just to share their face. Right? I mean, they love themselves. You know? Or at least they're trying to. They're never going to find it because they're trying to do it apart from the glory of God. It's the truth. It's a hole that's never going to be filled until they find the Lord. And by the way, the only way they're going to find Him is if we live the first. If we begin to love our God like according to Deuteronomy 6, it's to the point of we're like the fanatic it describes in Deuteronomy 6. It's consumed. When you walk in our house, it's like, man, I walked into church up in this joker. There's like 47 crosses and scriptures everywhere. You know that house, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? You, you know as soon as you walked in, like, man, this is the house of God. This is how, these are Christian people. And as soon as you know that, by the way, that's like Deuteronomy 6 says, that's what should be said of you. Right? It, it almost commands it. When you love God with everything within you, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Now listen, it's going to aggravate some, and it, some others are going to love it. That's just how it is in life. But this is what we're supposed to do and what we're called to do. And in doing so, it will, it will lead us to the second. 
This is the whole idea of intimacy. You know, the, the first part of this really describes very well what it is to be here at Mosaic, this whole advancing the gospel by returning, to, by returning to the Lord, where we're all about God. Everything we do is about Jesus. Everything we do is about growing our relationship closer with God. We want to be all about God, so much so that all people say is all they are is all about Jesus. All they want to do is pray. All they want to do, that's pretty much all they do is pray and just talk the word. Yeah, it's hard. So hard. Like, listen, it's easy in church to get distracted by the busyness of church sometimes. And sometimes the, the, the church is guilty of thinking busyness is progress. Sometimes sitting still is progress. Sometimes letting and waiting for God to move is progress. That's some of the hardest stuff to do at all is just wait for God to be in his right time. I, I think the hardest thing I have to tell anybody when, they're, when, when like they're coming up, like, I'm wondering if I'm called. I'm like, go and pray about it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I could be there forever. And I'm like, yeah, it might be good for you. By the way, if you already think like that, you're going to struggle with your call. Probably going to leave in the first two or three years. Once it gets hard, if it's already hard for you right now, you're not going to make it. I'm going to tell you that about it. By the way, those that are called, I hear all kinds of people that get excited for the Lord. And and the difference where you can tell the called are, the called don't quit, no matter how hard it is. Michael reminds me of this uh, lady who uh, did a lot of, or she did end up doing missionary work who, you know, she wanted to know, like, you know, she was excited for the Lord, wanted to do something great for the Lord. She went and asked, you know, hey, what am I, what are you, what am I supposed to do? And, and this guy, like, I don't, know if, I don't know what guy would say this, but this guy said it to her. He goes, listen, take whatever money you have, but get a one-way ticket, and wherever you end up, that's where your God wants you. Can I tell you, she did it. And just like that, you change the world. You change the world. So, some of us are too small-minded, man, for God to use I say that because you think too little of yourself. You think you can't be used by God in a magnificent way. The, the sad part is, is what your idea of what the magnificent way is. You think it's going to be when everybody like calls you up to be a conference speaker or a book. You know what I think God does in the ministry? And I've, I've, I've come to this thought a lot. I wonder, if God, I wonder if the devil, if God goes, you know what, devil? Devil comes to God and he has the same conversation as Job. Man, I bet if you just promoted these men, they'd leave you. You know, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. You don't don't kill off their women, don't kill off their kids. Well, let's just do this. Let's see what happens, right? So I'm going to give this pastor a book deal. I'm going to give this pastor a conference speaker. We're going to give him all these people in the world. Da, 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 da. But I bet if I went and asked that pastor, how many people you lead to Jesus this week? I bet it wouldn't be as many as some of the people, the lowest people in the churches. I love my my mentor. One of the things he always says to me, I've said in here a lot, is anytime he wants to stick me like just like a big gut check for me about the Lord. How many people did you talk about Jesus this week, Jim? I hear all your complaints about the church. I hear all your complaints about pastors. How many people have you witnessed about the Lord this week? And I'm like, shut up, right? Because the truth is, what matters? That I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, everybody's going to see it, right? Because I'm writing it on my hands. I'm writing it on my forehead. I'm, I'm walking around. I'm listening to the Word of God. I'm, I'm hearing the Word of God. I'm worshiping in my own heart. I have a life that, ex- that exuberates in prayer. I'm living constantly every day with the fight and the struggle to love God with everything within me, right? And everybody eventually is going to see that. Now here, here's the thing about that. doesn't matter if they applaud me. Doesn't matter if they ever see it or not. That's not the point. The point is, I'm sold out. There's no turning back. There's no quitting. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care if we're, we, you know, we started out with just three families in here. If we went back to three families, it wouldn't stop me from preaching. It's what God's called me to do. 
I still believe in God. I still believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing changes, right? I, I still, God is, because I pursue God, like at Deuteronomy 6, I am pressed upon. I am uh, poured out upon to, to go and find his kids and bring them back in. Not listen, I don't even know who they are. I just know that he loves them. And that's enough. That he wants them. And that's enough. Because I'm infatuated with everything he wants. God wants to do a triathlon. Guess who wants to go do a triathlon? If God wants to go, you know, hike 30 miles in the mountains, guess who's going to go hike 30 miles in the mountains? If God wants to plant a church, regardless if anybody ever comes and shows up, guess who's going to go do it? If God says go do it, I'm going to do it. I don't care. Failure is not a matter of if you show up from one Sunday to the next. That's why we always preach attendance. It doesn't mean a whole lot in here. And sometimes y'all remind me that I preach that. Hello, welcome to that one. Right? But uh, can I tell you something? Because my, because my security or my safety or my self-esteem or my self-worth is not found whether you show up and listen to me. It's found in Jesus. And what he's called me and what he's asked me to do. God, just, God has never said he was going to give me some big giant church or he was going to give me disciples. God's never said he was going to give me anything. Matter of fact, he's always says, will you give me? Jim, I know you have dreams of owning land and maybe being a business owner and all these other things. And I know you have these dreams, Jim. I've called you for a different purpose. I need you to give me those things. That's honestly the truth with God. God has never said, hey, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And I'm, he's never promised me glory. By the way, like, which is different than a lot of people out here. I've had a lot of people along the way. It's like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have these huge ministries and we're going to da-da-da. I don't have those dreams of grandeur. I just want to be obedient. Because when we get to heaven, man, you think he's going to say, man, you were the most popular guy in Marble Falls. You were the bomb. No, he's going to say, enter into the kingdom, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. Man, how many of you love your kids when they just shut their mouth and do what they are asked to do? Right? You young, you young couples, you know. You got, you got little kids. You know, like, man, it was a miracle. They totally did. They didn't say anything. I came home. They just did it. Like, that was a miracle, right? I'm telling you, man, I think when we get to, into heaven and God says, man, good and faithful servant, we're going to be like, praise Jesus. Because it was so hard being good and faithful. I, I mean, if we're going to be honest, we're going to say, I longed for men's applause. I, I, I longed for affirmation through human beings instead of you, Lord. I, I longed to get that book deal so I could feel like the words that I would say mattered, God, because apparently you applauding me on was not enough. I mean, if we're just going to be honest. Listen, we got to, we, if we don't ever be real with ourselves and honest with ourselves, how are we going to learn? And one of the things you all know about me, I'm, I'm key on, on just showing you the most ugly parts of even myself so that you can see the gospel working in me. If you don't think that I would love to write a book that people would be praised about, you're crazy. I would love to think that the things I do mattered upon the hearts of men. But all that matters in the end really is what God thinks. And I don't want to do anything outside of what he wants me to do. And I don't want you to have to do anything outside of what God wants you to do. Right now, I can tell you the easiest two things. The easiest two things he wants is for you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does that look like for you? It looks like being a fanatic. It looks like, it looks like being 
uh, uh, strong in the Lord. It looks like reading your Bible on a daily basis. And if you're not reading, listen, I'm about to get old school Pentecostal on you. We're going to bring the worship team up. But let me get a little old school, old school Pentecostal on you. If you're not reading your Bible on a daily basis, you need to be. If you're not praying on a daily basis, you need to be. That's not for me. That's not for this church. It's for you and your relationship with God. All those counsel moments that people come up to me more often could be fixed if they had rooted themselves in the Lord. I mean, you know, for Joy and I, what helps us in our marriage, what helps us in our friendship is the fact that we're both praying individuals. What happens that helps us not have a lot of the problems in, in those in those times we walk, is that this constant relationship we have with Jesus. And, and how that works is this, is like, you're crazy. If you, when you put two people in the room, by the way, opposites mostly do attract. It'd be worse if we were the same. All right? But, but usually opposites being what, what attract one another. That means, like, I don't know if you've seen, like, uh, 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 what happens when that, it's just, it's violent usually, right? I mean, it's like you come together, it can get loud, uh, uh, you can have arguments that are really loud, you can have all these things happen. Uh, we say this a lot, that marriage is not about happiness, it's about holiness, because you have to learn how to compromise, you have to learn how to share, and if you think you learned that when you were a kid, get married, it'll teach you a lesson. Uh, uh, it's just the truth. It's just the truth. And, and, and all, all of a sudden, you want to go do things. But like I remember when we first started out in ministry, I was at Terrell. I'm doing all these things for the church. And the cry of my wife was that we were never a team. I was always me doing everything. And she just wanted to be a part. She wanted to join the adventure and be a part of the adventure. And one of the great things that I think happened is there was this longing uh, for us, like God, where God gave us like little things that we prayed about. So during that time... Also, I worked a full-time job. I'm, I'm leaving at like four in the morning. Uh, I would never get to see it. I would tell her all the time, like one of my greatest dreams would be like, if I can just get a job where I get to wake up every day and I'm right here in bed still with you, like where I don't just leave and everybody's asleep and it's dark outside and I don't see everybody till I get home. I spend two hours with my family before everybody's back asleep again. And I, did, I was like, man, if God's ever going to give me a gift, that'll be the gift where I just wake up next to my wife every day. Right. And, and, I can, and that's going to be the one thing I like the one thing I remember praying about all the time. Like, that's the thing I want. That's the thing I want. I'd say it to her all the time. That's the thing I want. But the thing she would say to me is, I just want us to be a team. I want us to do things together. I want something we can do together. And as God began to pour out ministry and she began to say, why are we doing this together? I'm like, I'm trying, but I got to do all these things. You know, and I'm like, I'm learning. I'm learning how to include her. Right. And and uh, once our kids started, we move out here and God did that. And for the first time in 2009, in all our marriage, when we came out here and started doing ministry full time, I noticed like, oh, man, I wake up with my wife every day. The thing that I've been praying about since like year one of my marriage, you know, it, it's happened. And it, and it happened, the, more, the closer I draw to God, I found that the, thing, the little things that I've hungered for, God has said, okay, I'm going to give you this. But you know what else happened? We begin to team up better. We begin to go to leadership conferences together. We begin to learn how to utilize each other's giftings. So that we work and function well as a team together. It doesn't mean that we don't have arguments. It doesn't mean we don't fight. But you know what? I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, which makes me love others more than myself. So, you know, for the longest time, we used to say, you know, there's a lot of give and take between us. And sometimes it's one of those where, like, no, we'll just do it your way. And then she'll feel bad and be like, no, let's just do it yours, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, totally, we'll do it my way. No, I'm just kidding. It's not like that at all. So, but it's, it's a give and take, right? It's giving it. Why? Because God is teaching me how to love someone like I love myself. I want my way. 
So I know how that feels. So, okay, so let's lay down my way for, for, the, for this time, and let's, let's try it your way. And, of course, it's smarter. It's my wife, right? And I look at that as a win, too. Yeah, I picked her out. Actually, God picked her out. Who knew, you know? And, and that's the funny how it all works, man. It, it's happening in real time. You don't realize it's happening. When we meet somebody on the street today, you're going to go eat somewhere probably next to somebody, right? Probably somebody that goes to church, man. How you behave and how you act, the things you talk about at your table say everything about you. And if you don't think somebody's listening, you're crazy. I know you stare at everybody at Walmart. Don't act like you don't. H-E-B these days, good night. How we behave and how we love on people, man, especially ones that are different from us, say everything about who we are. Jesus created a church. Listen, listen to this. Jesus created a church that would be measured by its love for one another. It was going to be called the house of prayer but it would be known for its love for one another. So if you don't think these two commandments were important to him, you are missing, missing it. You are called to love other people just as much as you are called to love God with everything within you. And if you call yourself a fanatic for the Lord, you should be a fanatic for people. There's no difference. Jesus was a fanatic for people. As, mu as much as he loved the Father, he loved all of those around him. And that should be no different for any of us. No different for any of us. Man, I'm going to tell you, I have things I have to repent about all the time. If, if you think I don't meet people that frustrate me, you are crazy. Crazy. And that's just how life is, right? And I'm reminded in those moments, man, God loves me. I've got to be pretty frustrated myself. I've had moments where I've had confession in here. You've heard it. Like, Lord, please take the anger from me. Please, like I still struggle with anger so bad at times. And, and the funny thing, it's not as bad as it was like 10 or 15 years ago, but it doesn't matter. I, I, I can get so mad and then all of a sudden think about that. I just like disgrace you. Like you call me to be a pastor and people look to me for an example and I'm like the worst. So I feel that moment when Paul's like, you know, I'm doing what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do, I do. How can I, I mean... People look at me that throw out the handkerchief and people get healed. People look at me, I can say blind and they're blind. People look at me for powerful things and I can't even control my own self. Like I think Paul's like, in the name of Jesus be healed. Like he, he laying hands on his own self. Like how come it don't work? It works on everybody else, it doesn't work on me. What's, what's going on here, right? I mean like if you don't feel that way at times, I think you're missing the Christian walk, man. Be honest. Be honest there. I, I think the Lord wants to reveal a lot of those things. Love him with everything within you and love others with the same strength, the same heart, the same soul, the same mind. Same. Amen. Let's worship. Let's worship the Lord, man. Sing to the Father.